You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. go episode 15 of not another leafs podcast on the hockey podcast network ken stapon joined by brendan mccarthy bmac this is the actual episode 15 i know i said it was episode 15 last week but i was an episode ahead of myself hey man don't worry about it we're going to continue to produce lots more episodes so i'm sure we're going to lose track of all of it yeah that's what happens and we're trying to produce a lot of content coming up here in the month of november i know they the heads of the company, Dylan and Isha, have given us the green light to take a little time off, but we're going to take full advantage of the time to get some great guests coming on the podcast, and uh, we'll start to release the names of them as uh, we get closer to the release dates for the actual pod. But we actually have a, had the privilege of speaking to the voice of the Maple Leafs, Joe Bowen, and uh, interviewed him earlier this week. It was great to talk to Joe. Just an outstanding man, Kenny. He was a pleasure to talk to, heart of gold. And uh, we're really looking forward to dropping the episode with Joe Bourne for you guys to listen to. He's he's a great, great man and obviously a beloved figure in Leaf Nation. And he's had a heck of a career. Unbelievable career. And let's, uh, without further ado, let's get to the Joe Bowen interview right now. Joining us now on Not Another Leafs Podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network, it is our privilege to welcome the man behind the mic on over 3,000 Maple Leaf contests, the 2018 winner of the Foster Hewitt Memorial Award, and the voice of the buds on both Sportsnet 590 The Fan and TSN 1050 Toronto. We are pleased to be joined by Joe Bowen. Joe, thank you for taking the time to join us today. I was waiting for the standing ovation, but there's nobody in the seat, so I guess I'm just <laughs> here by myself, so. Hi, guys. Yeah, it's nice to, uh, nice to be with you. It's the social distancing edition of Not Another Leafs podcast here. We're trying to be exactly. uh, all coherent on the Zoom call here. Joe, I want to start off with something somewhere where we were both familiar. A comeback in recent memory. Game four against Columbus. We were both in the TSN 1050 studio for that one. It looked like the Leafs were dead to rights down 3 nothing in the third period. Obviously managed to come back, win game four, and at least force a game five, albeit all for nothing. In the end, where does that comeback rank for you as far as the comebacks that you've seen following this team over the last, it seems, 20 or 30 years? Well, I've never seen anything quite like that, and I don't know as anybody really has either. I mean, it was uh, a remarkable uh, turnaround 
found. Um, and and uh, I think Jim Ralph had the, the best line of it when he said, I'm not going to lie, I had everything packed up. We were ready to go. Um, but uh, you know what? It, it, the wonderful thing about sports is, is that you, you, if you watch things long enough, you're probably going to see a lot of things that you've never seen before. And that was uh, an amazing comeback, especially with the fact that it was done with six attackers on the ice when really their power play wasn't doing anything. But then all of a sudden with the sixth attacker on the ice, it all came together. Uh, it obviously took a lot of good fortune, um, but it, it also demonstrated, I think, that everybody is looking at this hockey team and wondering if it has any grit or if it has any heart, you know, there's all kinds of things. And, and this showed that it did. Now, you would have hoped that it would have been a springboard uh, that would have pushed it through game five and and then go on to maybe a bit of a run in, in the uh, the regular playoff situation. But having said that, it didn't. And uh, it was uh, disappointing after the fact, but certainly it, it ranked one of, uh, among some of the greatest. And I can't even say the greatest games. You have to say the greatest five minutes that you've ever seen. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's the wonderful thing about sports is that you get a, there's a lot of things that you've never seen before and you kind of put a little check mark beside that in your scorebook saying wow that was really something joe i've actually met you before 15 years ago i am like my dad with my dates it was november 05 but we got this silent auction um ticket which which basically got us in the broadcast gondola and you and bob cole greeted me with a i believe it was a klondike bar i was like the size of a hobbit back then but (laughs) definitely uh definitely a moment i'll i'll never forget and you definitely inspired me to pursue this field so thank you holy mackinac has been around for 30 years it's resonated with the city of toronto leaf nation tell us a bit about the origins of that phrase and where you first uttered that phrase well it's uh it's a story about my dad um who um passed away uh just before i went into high school um, but my dad was a general surgeon in Sudbury, worked for International Nickel up there before OHIP was part of the situation. Uh, my dad was a goaltender of some note. He played for the University of Western Ontario Mustangs uh, back in the era where goaltenders were not allowed to fall down, let alone stop pucks and whatever. Uh, but I would be, a, he was a huge Leaf fan and uh, subsequently a huge Johnny Bauer fan because of his position. And I would sit on his lap as a six and seven year old before I even started playing hockey. Uh, and uh, he would blurt out when uh, JB made a huge save, holy Mackinac, what a great save by Johnny. And I guess it was uh, to uh, refrain from a four lettered expletive. My dad, as I say, my dad passed away before I even started broadcasting, even thinking about getting into broadcasting. Um, and after going to the University of Windsor and doing broadcast down there and seven years in Sudbury with the Wolves and three years in Halifax with the Voyageurs, I get Toronto and about four or five years into doing the Leaf Games, we were in Chicago and, and Bill Waters was doing color with me and uh, a huge save made by Felix Watson. And I blurted it out. Uh, Holy Mackinac, what a save by Felix. And I I looked over at Bill, and he had fallen off his chair. He was laughing. I thought, what if I got that response from him? Maybe I should use this again because it's fun and whatever. And so we did. And um, it's not something that I come to the rink saying, well, I got to get one in here tonight, or I got to get two in tonight, or 
I mean, we went a couple of years when the Leafs didn't make the playoffs for 11 straight years. And when the year when they didn't, uh, they finished dead last, I probably didn't use it at all. Um, right. Having said that, um, when we did start using it and it became a bit of a platform or whatever, um, we tried to do some other things with it. And uh, my third oldest boy, Sean, had Luke Keeled. Um, we got very much involved with the United Food and Commercial Workers Union, who uh, do a great job across Canada raising funds for leukemia research. And so we had uh, Holy Mackinac t-shirts that we were selling for leukemia research and, and things of that nature. So hopefully it's done some good, as well as maybe had some fun as well. Well, I believe you used it as well in a Harvey's commercial way back, promoting a, promoting yeah, a burger. I, like I, I got loyalty. <laughs> and I got money yeah, for that, yeah. which was really good. <laughs> yeah, so, so you mean you just don't really love the burgers? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Oh no, I love the burgers. Oh no, that was great. No, that was uh, yeah. We uh, we uh, we had some fun with uh, for a couple of years where we were doing uh, the commercials with uh, with Harvey's, and it was a lot of fun. Joe, I want to ask you about another contemporary of yours in the field, Doc Emmerich. Now, this guy was another Foster Hewitt Award winner, one of the best in the business at calling, calling games, his esteemed career is second to none as, as far as hockey is concerned, or by as far as play-by-play broadcasters are concerned, what is his legacy in the play-by-play community? And like, what has he meant to the sports? Well, Doc Emmerich and I go back a, a few years. He was uh, doing the main Mariners of the American Hockey League when I was in Nova Scotia doing the Voyagers in Halifax. And that's where our paths first crossed. Uh, then when I got to the NHL, Doc was entrenched with Tico Resch uh, working for uh, the uh, New Jersey Devils. Um, when NBC finally got the big contract and decided full time, um, it was a natural to uh, hire Doc as their lead announcer. And uh, that's where obviously his career very much took off. Um, he's a wordsmith, uh, and he has an enormous memory. I, I wish I had uh, anybody's memory for dates and times and things that went on and stuff like that. I don't write it down. I'm, I can't remember where I put my keys. This guy has a tremendous vocabulary and a tremendous amount of stories and things that he's done. He started, we're not getting the kind of numbers that they would even get in Canada, but Doc Emmerich help build the game in the United States. And uh, he did a marvelous job. You can't find a nicer man. Uh, he has a tremendous legion of followers and, uh, and, and rightly so. Um, he uh, decided to retire this year. I know he didn't go into the bubble. He was doing the games as we were doing them, Ken, in the, uh, in the studio. Uh, and I think, I don't know if that had something to do with it or not, but uh, he's decided uh, to retire now, and um, the, the plaudits that he has gotten have been uh, just, uh, I mean, league-wide and team-wide and fan-wide. Uh, he's a tremendous individual, and uh, uh, he'll be missed. And uh, the person that uh, slides into that chair uh, next year is going to have some pretty big boots to fill. Joe, before every game, I'm you would use certain goalie alliterations, like the watchdogs of the webbed wickets. Where, where did that all start? Did that just kind of come later on? Well, we, uh, we were, I think we were out West somewhere and Tom Watt was the coach uh, at the time of the Maple Leafs. And uh, I would go up to him. I did a pregame show with the coach and I went up to him and I said, you know, at the end of the interview, I said, no, who's, uh, who's starting in goal tonight, Tom? 
And Tommy Watt said, well, the hero of the hip hop tonight is going to be Grant Fury. And I thought, that's kind of neat. And so we, we, we had that on the air as our pregame show. And we got on the airplane going to someplace or whatever. And all of us broadcasters, when we were allowed to fly on the charter, uh, thanks very much, Lou Lamorello, for kicking us off. Uh, anyway, I digress. Uh, we got uh, in the back of the plane, and uh, we were having a beverage, and Harry Neal was sitting beside me, and I brought this up. And between uh, Paul Hendrick, myself, Harry Neal, uh, Mark Askin, who was sitting back there, um, we were writing down a bunch of these stupid little sayings about, you know, the tenor of the twine tent, the hero of the hemp pot, you know, and all of this sort of stuff. And so I thought, well, you know what, I'm going to start doing this. So I, I started doing this, you know, the starting goaltenders when we had time to get it in before the game. And then all of a sudden we would keep, I was writing more and more of these down. And then we were getting listeners sending me uh, their sayings. And some we could use, some maybe we couldn't use, uh, but uh, I've got about 200 of these things now. So um, we try to get them in when we can. Sometimes it's a little difficult depending on how our pregame show is going and whatnot. But um, uh, I had a, a, a couple out in Newfoundland who used to listen to us, I guess, on the internet or whatever. And we became friends when I went out there to do uh, an American Hockey League All-Star game. And they invited me for a great lobster dinner and uh, everything else. And then they would send every month, probably about 10 or 12 more of them. And I'd put them down and we would uh, go through them and check them off as we went, try to use as many as we could. And you can't beat those fresh seafood dinners from the coastal communities. Oh. It's fresh out of the ocean. Oh, oh, goodness. It's so good. Are you kidding me? Oh, absolutely. And they, uh, <laughs> and they had screech. Oh God! Oh yeah! I don't know. I haven't been to the Rock, so I haven't been screeched in yet. But uh, something to look forward to when I make my first trip out there, I guess. I had to get screeched in when I moved to to Nova Scotia, and uh, I'll tell you what: I lived out there for three years, um, and uh, you know, would send uh, applications to uh, all of the NHL teams. I I truly, truly love Nova Scotia, the people, and everything else, and uh, I would have been quite content to have uh, stayed out there in Halifax and done hockey there. And now I guess it's not uh, in the American Hockey League any longer, but uh, you know, the Mooseheads have got a, a great junior team and a great junior program out there in the Metro Center in, in Halifax, Nova Scotia. No, you're exactly right. The people could not be nicer out there as well. Joe, one critique of this team over the last several seasons has been the lack of grit, the lack of determination and the lack of, physical play that was inherent and that a lot of that comes down to roster construction Kyle Dubas tried to address some of these needs with the additions in this offseason whether it be Zach Bogosian whether it be Wayne Simmons uh, an older Joe Thornton who I think will likely play a remedial role maybe fourth line minutes to keep him down at the ripe old age of 41 how does how do the moves that Kyle Dubas has made change the format of this team and do you think that he's addressed the needs that have been needed and over the last several seasons well, you know, and when, when Kyle took over, he had a template that he wanted to do. Uh, he was of the opinion, and this goes back to his days in Sault Ste. Marie, that skill uh, and, and speed and skill will uh, win the day over, uh, you know, grinding and grit and everything else. And, and it may have had an effect in the, in the, the American Hockey League as well as in the OHL, 
but I think that everyone that has been a part of the National Hockey League over the last, since they started it, uh, has understood that Conn Smythe had. Conn Smythe's uh, word was, if you can't beat them in the alley, you can't beat them on the ice. And that sort of was a slogan that, uh, I mean, that was pretty graphic. Um, now, even, you know, and so when you went back and you looked at the, the history of this league, uh, even in the six-team league when they were talking about this, the Toronto Maple Leafs were a lunch pail organization. And they were a physical bunch that were really hard to play against. They had their stars, peons and Mahavliches and, and people of that nature, uh, and, and Kelly. But they also had their grit and their determination and their physical play. And I think that if you, when, when Kyle put started this together, I think he thought that, I think that now that he has been on the job, he does understand that we need to have uh, a situation where people are going to feel comfortable to play. And you, you can't feel comfortable about how you're playing if you don't have someone to push back. And your talented players are going to, are going to be challenged in the playoffs. They're going to be challenged. And, and they have to feel comfortable knowing that we've got some guys on this team that will push back. And, and it doesn't mean fighting. It means that their defense is going to have to be as bruised up and battered as our defense because they're going to be taken into the corner and checks are going to be finished. We had one guy that did that a number of years ago. And they traded him a year ago, and that was Nazem Kadri. And he got into trouble because he pushed back. Now, there's all kinds of arguments and, and sentiment about whether the league overstepped its bounds on, on how they handled the Kadri incidents. I, for one, think that he was very much abused in that. Because after the fact, and you see this year, there were incidents that were at least as bad, if not worse, and adjudicated differently. So our pushback guy left. The other guys who were physical, Matt Martin, uh, Leo Komarov, who pushed back. Martin might drop the gloves, but Leo certainly wouldn't. But you certainly knew when Leo was on the ice, we're not there. And so now we're trying to outskill people through four lines. And I, I think that was the issue. You have to make your star players feel comfortable. And having Matt Martin, it's like owning the atomic bomb. We're not going to drop it, but we got it over here. It's here. And if you guys start messing around, we're bringing it out. Well, they don't have that and didn't have that. And I think that that was uh, uh, the issue that had to be addressed this year. Uh, I think it came out in spades, watching how uh, Columbus attacked the Leaf Defense Corps and played physical all four lines. Uh, you know, the, the, Matt, uh, the, the Mitch Marners and the Willie Nylanders and, and the Austin Matthews are not running people. They're, they're talented players and they can do a lot of great things, but they're not going to set any kind of physical tone uh, to a, a game or a series. And so I think that's where Bogosian, that's where Thornton, certainly that's where Wayne Simmons come in. Uh, I don't think Kyle's done. I really don't. I, and everybody thinks, oh, this might be it. And it may not be 
until end of the season, and it may not be until the trade deadline. But I think that they still need to find some other people um, that can fill that role and void uh, in this lineup. And, uh, you know, that, everybody talks about Don Terry being, you know, a dinosaur over here. And, and, but other people, you know, it, it, that's the sport. The sport is a physical game. And I know they're talking in the OHL about taking out body checking and all of that sort of stuff. I'm sorry. But when things get back to normal here, the thing, the game is going back to the way it is. And it's still a physical game. And intimidation is still a very big part of it. Joe, who would you say is the most intriguing addition that Dubas has acquired in the offseason? Well, I think the most intriguing one is, is Joey Thornton. Young buck from uh, St. Thomas, Ontario, big, uh, you know, the Jumbo Joe. Um, and, and it may have spoken some volume as to leadership in the dressing room. Um, now, if you're going to get a guy like Joe Thornton, who is one of the great people in this game, uh, he cannot be a leader in the dressing room if his uh, rear end is stapled to a chair up beside us in the press box. He has to play. He has has to be in the lineup. He has to be showing by example. Uh, I, I think that's one of the really intriguing um, decisions made. And I think it speaks volumes that maybe the young uh, roster of the Maple Leafs is not quite ready to assume that mantle of leadership. And, uh, uh, you know, Wayne Simmons will be another part of that leadership group, Bogosian as well. So, I think that that's a, a key component of it. And I think that that's part of why, you know, it, it takes a while to understand your employees and, and uh, your team and how it is being constructed. Uh, now, I agree with Kyle 100% as far as the draft is concerned. You've got to draft talent. You got to, I don't think you go out and, and find the biggest guy that's playing left wing because we need to get bigger. You have to have some skill. And that's, that's the area that, you do that in, but I think in the other areas like trading and uh, and making moves, um, this is an area that has to be filled and and it has to be addressed. And you're right, Joe. And I think that Joe Thornton brings that on the ice in spades. I don't think there's anybody in the league who is second to him as far as dragging his teammates into the fight and making them accountable and raise their level of play in the room, which is something that this team has lacked because, like you said in the Columbus series, in that last five minutes. That was some of the most dominant hockey I've ever seen in the last four minutes of game four. They were just snapping the puck around and that shows you what this team is capable of when they are playing at that elite level. Yeah, you're right. You know, Kenneth, it's a, it's an interesting thing. And, and uh, you know, they have a wealth of offensive talent, uh, but uh, the bottom line in any team that wins the Stanley cup is how they played defensively and how well their goaltending played. Um, the scoring comes way down, uh, the chances to score come way down, uh, the diligence on, uh, back checking and playing well defensively, positional play goes way up, uh, and physicality goes way up. So you, you have to, you know, it's, it's one thing to play 82 games. And it's another thing that once you're there, how do you play through four real physical, uh, series in order to win the toughest trophy in sport. Um, I don't think there's any question of it. I mean, when you finally win the Stanley Cup and you sit in that room and you've got your nice big glass of champagne going, 
you look around and there's a lot of bruised people there that have really put it all out on the line. And uh, I think that that's part and parcel of what the Leafs are trying to correct and trying to construct. Joe, we'll get you out of here on this. We were talking off air before the interview. Obviously, this whole circumstance with the pandemic has changed the way that we conduct business. We had to do the play-in games against Columbus remotely from the TSN 1050 studios, which is something that we haven't had to do in the past. Obviously, you and Jimmy Ralph have traveled on the road with the team. You've traveled at home with the team. How do you see the changes that have been implemented now to this point based off of what was going on with the pandemic changing the industry moving forward? Because it certainly seems like we aren't going to regress back to where we were necessarily. Well, that'll be very interesting, Ken and, uh, and Brendan. It'll be very interesting how uh, the powers that be at various uh, media outlets handle things like this. Um, a number of years ago, it was uh, brought to our attention that they wanted to do this, and we fought uh, diligently against it. Um, being on the site has so much more of an advantage for a broadcaster. First off, your interaction with the players. Um, you're going to cut that down in half. Uh, your interaction with coaching staff and various other things while you're on site, uh, I think it, it makes for a much better broadcast and a lot more informative as to what's going on. Um, just being able to see the entire rink, as far as I am concerned as a play-by-play -play broadcaster, is an enormous advantage. Um, changing of lines, people being hurt, uh, goaltenders being pulled. Um, various other things. I've always said anybody that has asked me about how, you know, can you give me a tip uh, on, on doing play-by-play? -play? And one of the key components that I always say is um, you have to worry who has the thing. You have to worry about who has the puck. But your job is to where is it going next? And if we have a tight shot on TV of the puck carrier I don't see the trailer coming off the bench late. I probably don't know that Wendell Clark's going to tie the game in Los Angeles. Um, but if you're there, you're certainly going to see it and call it as it is. Uh, I think doing it off a monitor, uh, we were able to do it. I, we pulled it off. There was no question. There's, there's some technical glitches. Um, as you well know, <laughs> I'm well aware of those. We, we almost <laughs> didn't get on the air. <laughs> but one of the things that I noticed was that, that the audio that we were getting from site was about 10 seconds faster than what we were trying to broadcast off the monitor. And so the whistle would go and then play would go on as far as I'm broadcasting and oh, offside. And I don't. I, you know, the horn would go before the goal was scored. Um, there was you know, things like that. So I, I'm, I don't know if that can be corrected. I assume it is where technical geniuses like you two guys would probably be able to figure that out. I <laughs> know, oh, Michael Lampard. <laughs> well, exactly. But, but having said that, if we're not allowed to fly into the States and if we're not allowed to do this and do that, um, it's, it's not a bad second choice to be able to do the game uh, from wherever. But um, if I have a, a vote, uh, my vote will strongly be to be on site, uh, but uh, that's going to be out of our hands. Yeah, well, it's just like you said, it's up to the powers that are up above our heads. And to a certain extent, it's out of our control, my, especially with the travel. It's above my pay grade. I know that. <laughs> it's certainly above mine. Joe, appreciate you taking the time for us today. 
Uh, obviously, it's been a hell of a career that you've had. I look forward to working with you in the future. And hopefully coming down the road here, you'll be able to strap up the goalie pads again because uh, I know you haven't been able to, at least over the short term, or have had some difficulty playing in your men's league. Yeah, we're, we're hoping we can get it going again once the second uh, phase is, uh, is upgraded again. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm still looking forward to it. The knees and the hips are holding out. So uh, <laughs> although I don't I don't go down as often. I, I, I've turned into a John Bauer stand-up angle-playing goaltender, which is still a lot of fun with the guys. I'm hoping to get back at it. You guys stay safe, and uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, good luck to your Packers, it, Joe. Joe. I guess we're down to NFL now, so good luck to the Green Bay Packers. Going to need that. The Irish, too, for sure. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks for taking the time, Joe. We'll chat soon. You bet. Thank you so much to Joe Bowen for taking the time to join Not Another Leafs Podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network and a ton of great content from Joe Bowen. One part in particular that I liked was the quote that he brought up from Con Smythe saying that if you can't beat him in the alley, then you can't beat him on the ice. And I think to tie the whole thing together from our conversation last week and with the offseason moves that the Toronto Maple Leafs has been making, they're trying to become a team that's going to be more difficult to beat in the alley. And I think they've successfully been able to do that. I like how we talked about how Holy Mackinac kind of came to be, how it all emanated through his dad. I mean, think about how many dads want to just let out a big F-U-C-K when they're watching a game or there's a bad call and their son's there. So it's, uh... Yeah. I've, uh, I've heard some choice words coming from the stands in my youth hockey upbringing. And I, well, I wasn't even playing in Canada. I was playing in the States. So you can imagine what that was like. in uh, those random rinks on a Saturday morning in Watertown, Connecticut, and you got one dad oh, who's just absolutely, absolutely in one, just uh, screaming at the refs, getting thrown out of the game. And at that level, None of us were going pro. <laughs> you right. know, we're 13 right. years old. You're playing hockey in Connecticut. I uh, often taught, was on the B team because I uh, had a little bit of the slower feet going on. But it, it wasn't like ultra competitive hockey. It was just more for the love of the game. And you still got these parents out there just berating the officials. It was brutal. Sometimes it's just completely unnecessary. I mean, I only really played house league. I didn't play anything higher than that. But I remember we played like a game around Christmas time just for fun. It was almost just like a scrimmage. And like parents were just losing their minds that like fights broke out. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. It's like a day before Christmas Eve. And like, it's just turned into a bloodbath and it's house league. I, I don't, <laughs> like it's just parents yeah, go parents overboard. Don't man. care. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Good it's God. Yeah. It's brutal. And I was, uh, there was a couple times in my upbringing where I was a little bit vocal. My, I used to go to all my sister's field hockey games when, she was uh, in high school. We had a very competitive field hockey team in our school, so they were very good. She actually ended up going on to walk on her freshman year at York University up here in Toronto. So wow. pretty impressive to walk onto a varsity team. Just shows you the level of play at, uh, our, that our high school had. But because they were so competitive and the games were always so passionate, I was probably you know, 17, 18, 19 years old when I was going to these games, and sometimes the officials would miss a call. And I would let them hear it to the point where I was told that uh, if I continued to point out obvious mistakes in the officiating, that I would be asked to leave the contest and uh, had to tone it down a little bit. I haven't even seen you angry before, Kenny. So <laughs> I, wouldn't even, I wouldn't even want to be beside you on the bench to hear that. I feel like I'd just like crumble. Honestly, it doesn't happen often. I try to keep a pretty even temperament most of the time, but 
if it, if it ever like <laughs> if it ever escalates to that point though where i'm actually upset enough to be like raising my voice and yelling it scares people because they don't they, because they don't know what to do because i know ne- i'm never in that that mindset really so it's just like uh oh like we really messed up if this guy's that angry right now yeah good god i i just would be like no you're right you're right uh, speaking of angry, a lot of Maple Leaf fans were angry to see that the team brought back Michael Hutchinson, signing him to a two-way deal earlier this week. Uh, I'm not looking too far into this, as it already seems to be established that you got the hierarchy is Anderson, the starter, Jack Campbell, the bona fide backup. Aaron Dell is sort of that third guy in case somebody gets injured and you need to bring up an NHL-caliber goaltender. So this guy is going to be essentially the fourth goaltender on the Maple Leafs depth chart. But after his season that he had, a lot of Maple Leaf fans would not be as enthused to see Hutchison back on the opening day roster. So I will look too far into it and <laughs> say, yeah, perfect. <laughs> and say perhaps it's like a managerial strategic move for the expansion draft because, you know, they have to expose one goalie who's had a substantial amount of time in the league. And that is signed through the 21-22 year. So right now, as you mentioned, you got Anderson, Campbell at the two. I mean, Dell and Hutchinson, I'm sure, will be like a hybrid in terms of who they who they call up. But remember, Dell is only on that one-year deal um, under a million AAV. I believe it's 850K. So who do you protect then? I mean, then? Anderson's obviously well, his contract say, isn't up or is going to be up at the end of this year. So then do you just let Anderson's deal expire? maybe have a little backdoor agreements that uh, we're just going to let you become a free, or a free agent at the moment, but we'll sign you after the expansion draft. And then you protect Jack Campbell to keep that tandem in line. Is that what you think Dubas is up to? I think so. I mean, ideally you want to protect Campbell as well, but because Hutchinson has a tiny bit of stability with the two-year contract, perhaps they'll expose him and then, get Dell in there on a, on a bigger deal, not a bigger deal in terms of like AAV, but just, um, you know, longer term maybe. Yeah. We'll it's see possible. what happens. I, I can't really talk too much on the expansion draft cause I would have to review what, what players can be protected because there's different structures for that. And I'd have to right, review there's many the tangibles and, and stuff tacked on. But. Yeah, of course. And you look at the depth that Toronto has up front and the depth that they have on the back, you feel like probably likely it would be a forward or a defenseman who would end up getting plucked up just because they right. have, especially with all the additions on the back end after this season, it's like, who are you going to protect? You got to protect Brody. You got to protect Riley, obviously. And then you got to protect Muzzin. Jake Muzzin. And then, want any of the other defensemen that you have on your roster outside of Rasmus Sandin who would be protected because he hasn't played in the league for very long. Anybody else would be up for grabs. So that'll be uh, interesting to watch for sure. Uh, a little bit off in the distance though. So I'm not going to be too worried to try to look too much into that. I think this is just a situation where the organization liked Hutchinson. Dubis liked Hutchinson. They liked him in the room. He was a consummate professional for Hutchinson himself. If you are going to be signing a two-way deal and likely playing some time in the AHL, it would make sense to do that in Toronto over a different market. I mean, who wants to, like, I would not even familiar with every other AHL market where they're from, but when I was following the AHL much more closely when I lived just outside of Hartford, Connecticut, used to go and see a lot of Hartford Wolfpack games with my family on Saturday nights. That was uh, our big thing. There's a lot of markets that are smaller and just 
crap markets, like less desirable, like Wilkes-Barre Scranton. What, what NHL Yikes. player wants to go to Wilkes-Barre or like Lowell Where, had one for a while. What do you do there? You, well, you mean, don't do anything. You play hockey for the Penguins and then uh, and you go, you go to Dunder Mifflin. Yeah, you guys, exactly. You, everybody's like, oh, you know, you want to go swing by the paper company again? Like what's going on there? So for Hutchinson, <laughs> if he wants to play in a, a traditional NHL market with the money to and the facilities and all the bells and whistles that other AHL markets don't have, it makes sense for him to just take the two-way deal in Toronto. He's familiar with the organization. He knows a lot of the guys in the room from what I had listened to this past season. All, like Every time he would go in the net and get shelled or whatever, everybody would own up and say, you know, we have to play better in front of him. And Hutch is such a good guy in the room, and we want to play better for him because he didn't deserve that tonight. So it shows you that he has the respect of some of the big guys in the room. I think when you break it down like that, it makes sense for both sides that this guy is coming in on a two-way deal to essentially be the fourth goaltender. Right, and you look at his stats when he did come in for the Leafs when Anderson was struggling with injury in Brutal. last last regular season. And yeah, he got, as you say, a lot, Kenny, shelled. I believe he it was an under 900 save percentage. He was like 4-9-1 and one or something. It was brutal. But then you say, hey, he also came in when the Avs were struggling with their goalie depth in one game five and six, and then, of course, losing in game seven. But, I mean, so, yeah, it's a little bit of inconsistency. He's 30 years old, but, again, they're just extending and expanding their goalie depth Um, because, again, after Dell and Hutchinson, you got Joseph Wohl and Ian Scott, and who knows how long they're going to take to develop or even see um, some time in the NHL. Another roster move the Maple Leafs made this week, uh, signing Joey Anderson. To a, de- to a contract. Uh, this isn't a huge surprise. He was uh, the player that came over in the Andreas Janssen deal. For the large part, everybody just figured that this was kind of a just like a throw-in. Yeah, it's just a contract coming back the other way for a contract going the one way. You know NHL GMs are always concerned about that. And obviously, Janssen's money needed to come off the books. So it wasn't necessarily going to be a player of notoriety coming back the other way. But Kyle Dubas, uh, when he was speaking on it this week, seems to think that this wasn't just a cap clearing deal or is playing the spin master maybe on that one. And it's suggesting that Joey Anderson could have a role to play moving forward with this organization's plans in the future. Well, it's interesting. And, and Dubas seems pretty high on this guy and, you know, the Leafs are going to have six guys entering six forwards. I should say, Kenny entering uh, the free agent free agency markets after next season. So, I mean, it's, it's a three-year deal. The first two years, it's a two-way contract. And then after that, I'm sure Dubas and company are hoping he can, he can land a, a, a full-time or at least a consistent gig uh, with the Leafs because, you know, after next season, it's going to be pretty open for roster spots. Yeah, like we said, um, we'll see how the expansion draft plays out. I suspect that Toronto's probably going to handle it in a way where they just tell Seattle, just take a player. We don't care who it is, but there's a lot of organizations that are probably going to be up against it. If the cap stays flat again, they're going to be looking for creative ways to alleviate that. And the Kraken are going to be coming in in a very unique position where they don't have any money on the books. So they might be able to leverage that. I know Pierre Lebrun was uh, wrote an article this week, rather on how Seattle could be or could leverage all the cap space that they have to, really take advantage of some of the other NHL markets who are up against it and have no way out of these bad contracts. 
Yeah, I'm just looking through cap friendly now as I typically do during each of our pods and it's going to it's going to get pretty tight, man. But I, I I don't think that Joey Anderson really has a chance. Uh, I think Dubas is kind of just saying that. Spin master. But spin master spin Kyle. Spin master Kyle. It's I, like uh, I mean potentially you'd lo- you'd love to see him, you know, strike gold with with a new team, but we'll have to see. I, I mean obviously you think of both Hutch and Anderson, Joey Anderson's contract, they have to clear waivers so that there's a chance they, they can be moved as well. So nothing set in stone here. Um, again, like you said, Hutch is a good professional and clearly beloved in the dressing room. And hopefully Anderson can, can bet on himself and, and earn a spot on the Leafs. Let's get to our favorite segment, the library bar. Got me sitting at a bar on the inside, waiting for my ride on the I gotta be honest, I hadn't uh, thought, given any thought to who was at the library bar this week as this was kind of an impromptu recording that we decided to do on the Saturday, so I'm just gonna wing it here. Uh, do you have somebody on the mind to go first? Give me some time to think it over, BMAC. Well, I uh, I will switch leagues, and I'm going to have to go with Ron Rivera, who just finished up chemo treatment. Hopefully, in some capacity, he can enjoy some libation because that's great news how he's finished up all his treatment. So hopefully he can, you know, enjoy something that um, tickles his fancy after undergoing a uh, a difficult couple of months. And when you look at the organization, the Washington football team, this was a huge undertaking for Rivera to come in there, understanding you know they're going to be switching up the logo, that they have all these cultural problems where there was women being harassed in the workplace. Like it's just been a complete dumpster fire, and it was a huge undertaking for Rivera to come in there and try to overhaul everything, overhaul the whole culture in the organization, and he was going to be on the forefront of doing that. Obviously, the health is more important than any of that, and glad to hear that he had his last chemo treatments and is on the way to hopefully being cancer-free for the rest of his life because you just love hearing a story like that, you know? Absolutely. All right, I'm going to kind of go the other way in this. I'm not even sure if this person would be at the library bar because the library bar probably isn't fancy enough for her, but I'm going to go with Kim Kardashian, who was getting roasted on social media this week after photos and the publicity surfaced of her 40th birthday celebration which mind you was supposed to be a surprise did you hear about this i didn't hear about this all i know is about drake's b-day party that was apparently a big banger yeah so it was supposed to be a surprise birthday party and she got all her friends together and they went to a private islands and just pretended that covid wasn't happening the whole thing though is that Two weeks prior to the birthday, she sent out these notifications to everybody that they had to go get COVID tests and then basically self-quarantine to make sure that they didn't have the virus. So I'm just sitting here wondering how this is any semblance of a surprise if they had two weeks notice that this was happening. And then they all have to get on a plane and go to a private island. Like, that's not a surprise at all. It's like Fire Festival 2.0 or something. It's the anti-surprise birthday party. 
Like it could oh not God. be more planned out or any less of a surprise. Anyways, yeah, she'll be at the library bar for me, even though as previously established, that institution is probably uh, a little bit less than she's used to in that glamorous lifestyle. BMAC, what do you got on tap for the rest of the weekend here? Uh, normally it would be a football Sunday for you, but seeing as we're recording on the Saturday, uh, and you've got other plans, I think. Well, it is Halloween. So Happy Halloween. We kind, of buried our, we kind of buried our lead again there, Kenny. But I've, uh, I've, Man, I'm not a know. big Halloween guy, to be honest. I, I <laughs> forgot. Yeah, I was talking about Halloween this morning on the Greg Carrasco show. It's another show that I do over on TSN 1050. And then we start, picked up the mics and started talking about Michael Hutchinson. And I just completely forgot that was Halloween. That's fair. I have I no mean, costume. I guess if it's not like... Yeah, it's obviously a different different time now, but I I, I don't know. I mean, are you still going to hand out candy or like in a, in a COVID-friendly way? Well, I'm actually going to the brewery tonight, so I won't be home until probably 12, 1 o'clock in the morning anyways. So that kind of gets me off the hook for okay. having to hand out candy or anything like that. I don't know what the intention is of my roomies. I think uh, they were talking about maybe having a small Halloween get-together with like immediate friends who are in our germ bubble. So, like, our roomies and then, like, plus one or two friends to keep it uh, nice. COVID-friendly, very tight, very tight and close to the chest. In the past, we've actually thrown a pretty big Halloween party, I think, for about the last three or four years. Like, it's been a banger where I end up, uh, you know, I get home from work and there's, like, 60 people in my house. Yeah, it's like, Jesus, let me just take off my jacket. Yeah, there's a keg of beer going, and I'm, I don't mind the Halloween party. It gives me a little bit of anxiety, though, having that many people in my house. That's, yeah, what is this, like Aberdeen Street for those Queens alum? Yeah, it's just like, man, like, this is just party time. I'm trying to keep track on everybody. You got to say hello to everybody. And then the house is always just a complete disaster, and everybody's always hung over the next day, so nobody wants to help you clean it up. Kind of uh, not gonna lie, not not too uh, not too dissatisfied by the fact that the Halloween party will be canceled this year. Yeah, and I don't know if you saw the this video of this buddy who basically left a bowl out for you know kids and teens, what have you, and then it was like a sign that read "21 and up, please knock," and he was handing out like tequila shots to everybody. So that's a way to do it too, mix it up a little bit. I think it was in like little. Um, like little jars you can get at like i'd be down for the tequila shot yeah just take one and go you know what i'm sure parents would appreciate it too because that's a lot of walking uh, around neighborhoods wherever you go it's cold and you know it kind of keeps you loose and probably keeps you from from yelling at your kid you know that those dads are wheeling around with the little hip flask pulling around the wagon with the kids in the back it's cold it's a chilly october night up here in toronto you need to get some of the whiskey flowing to warm you up inside. Oh, yeah. I've seen that in practice. Maybe a little spiced rum or maybe a couple brewskis if that's what you prefer. Uh, speaking of which, I've actually got to run right now because I'm heading to the brewery tonight. So we should get out of here on a good note. Uh, thanks for listening to this episode of Not Another Leafs Podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter at McCarthy 95 at Ken Stapon, at LeafsPod, at HockeyPodNet. We'll catch you next time.